Sonder, the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawled deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed in which you might appear only once as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blur of traffic passing on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. This is the Sonder Podcast by Tolu Omoba, where we want to hear your story and opinion. Please listen and enjoy. Welcome to the Sonder Podcast with Tolu Omoba. I got a good friend, Eze, in here with me. He's a um, financial coach a real estate agent, and he's an accountant by trade. So, um, we're going to talk about some financial um, topics today, so I'll, I'll let Eze introduce himself. Hello, Sonder community. Again, my name is Eze Amadi. Um, I go back to Tulu to actually undergrad at Morgan State, um, but since then I've been a financial analyst. Currently now I'm a real estate agent and a financial coach. And that's just a little bit about myself. I'm also married with two kids. They keep me busy when I'm not doing those other business ventures. But yeah, that's my general background. I'm from Maryland, grew up in Maryland, been here a long time, used to live in Dallas for a couple of years as well. But I'm also well-traveled throughout the United States. I've been to about 40 of the 50 United States. Why? Work. Um, during the financial crisis, I was working with uh, failing banks, so used to visit a lot of failing banks. So when banks used to fail on Friday nights, I used to go from here to there, helping uh, clean up the books of the banks. So that was like right out of college, a lot of experience on the road, road warrior, if you would. Man, you got that's that, that's that's another topic in itself. All them failing banks. Yeah, it is. You, you must be hip on the banking game. Yeah, 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 yeah. It actually helps now with some of the other things that I kind of have on board with the real estate and the financial coaching because I, I know from the bank's perspective what's going on. Okay, cool, cool. That's actually good to know. Yeah. That's actually good to know. Um, Speaking of bank, banking, money. Yep. So I guess the first question I'm going to ask on this general topic of money and finance um, how would you define wealth? What is wealth? Um, I, I define wealth as what is retained um, in a long-term sense. Of course, when it comes to money, um, we, we, we would say that something somebody is wealthy when they have retained a good amount of money. But I also feel like wealth is something that can just be like knowledge. It could be work ethic. So there's not just one type of wealth, but something that's handed to you and that that asset, whether it's a monetary asset or not, is just something that's almost never going to leave the person because they have that like mindset. So mindset also can be wealth. But in the realm of money, it wouldn't just be the money that you make, but the money that you retain or the money that's actually growing for you. So it's like, wealth. So, so like wealth is like 
that thing that doesn't go away right. or they keep producing for you or, or keeps right. being valuable for you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, staying on this general topic, on this general topic, um, when it comes to wealth and building wealth, mm-hmm. how much money should you save and how much money should you invest out of your paycheck or whatever money you got coming in? Well, so saving and then investing, that's like the next level, right? So when it comes to just the day-to-day, like the money that comes in and then the money you spend from there, then you have a, that's kind of your wealth or amount of wealth that you even have to save or to invest. And those things are actually what's going to actually build long-term wealth as far as in money. So, I mean, I think everybody kind of needs to, you know, keep your expenses as reasonably low as possible if you're trying to, you know, truly build wealth. And then also just kind of build a plan to to build your wealth long term. So wealth is a long term, uh, long term strategy. So there's a lot of different ways that you can accumulate wealth, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks and mutual funds and all that good stuff. There's a lot of different vehicles that you can use. But um, the first thing that you really need to do is have an income and then reduce your expenses and then, you know, try to increase your income and you know, keep your expenses in line. So that's what's going to give you the uh, the leverage to actually build wealth. Okay. Good to know. Um, and, and I like how you pointed out, I like how you pointed out that you have to reduce your costs, reduce your living expenses right. to, to build wealth. Right. That's not something that they teach a lot. They teach us to be consumers, but not savers. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses, I mean, and always like, even as you maybe make more money, if you're always just spending that money, then you didn't actually, you know, you didn't actually do anything as far as the the wealth equation. You didn't do anything, you know. If you start off at, you know, coming out of school or whatever, and you're spending everything that you get, and then, you know, five, seven years down the line, you might have doubled your income, but you're also still just spending everything you got. Then at the end of the day, still the wealth will be minimal at that point if you just keep on spending everything that you get. So at some point you have to start saving and then, of course, investing. I really kind of stress that you got to get to the point of investing. That's where uh, compound interest and things of that nature is going to really help you build wealth. All right. So I listen to Dr. Boyce Watkins yeah. every now and then, and he says a way to start building wealth is to invest $5 a mm-hmm. day. So that's where I started. I just started like a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Just $5 a day. I mean, of course, I did, I did other things, but I made sure that I set up a, an investment account with like Acorns or Robinhood or mm-hmm. whatever. And I just started putting automatically putting the equivalent of $5 a day in every month. Okay. And I've been doing that since I started. Yeah. So, and I've, and I've, and I've borrowed from it before, but I don't, I make it a point not to borrow. From right. it though. Um, I, I think that the real message from that is to, to just to know that, like building wealth doesn't have to, you don't have to wait till you make a lot of money to actually start. Actually, you need to just get in tune with what you have right now. And then that's going to help you down the road when you have more. Right. Yes. So I think the whole $5 a day, I mean, most people, most people waste $5 a day, if not a lot more, you know, on lattes or whatever, just, you know, stuff, you know, you go to Seven Eleven and you just blow five bucks, like nothing. Like, so if you could, you know, rechannel that 
that energy, that money into an investment, then long term, you know, you, you're just going to see a lot more money. But it's kind of a trick. Like if you do five dollars now, then what's ten dollars later? What's 50? You're right. right. Or what's a couple hundred dollars a month or, you know, a couple hundred dollars every page. You know what I'm saying? So that's really what they're trying to build up to. But all those type of apps like Acorns, Robinhood, th- those things are are good for like the entry point. That's that's what they were actually, you know, built for to have an entry point, a lower entry point. Because before back in the day, years ago, you couldn't you couldn't just put five bucks down a day or something like that. You had to put it was like a minimum yeah, of a thousand or exactly, ten thousand. Yeah, things like that. that. So I like those disruptors to kind of bring um the ability to start investing in wealth building to to the masses. So um a top the next topic is debt. Um what what is your philosophy on debt and is is there such thing as good debt? I, I do not believe there's a such thing as good debt. I mean no matter there's sometimes people equate good debt, for instance, from like, you know, say student loans or whatever, right? So somebody might say, like, well, if I never went to school and accumulated, you know, this debt, then I wouldn't have this degree that gives me the ability to now make this income or whatever, right? But my question to that same person would be, all right, no matter what amount of debt that is, would you be in a better position with or without the debt? <laughs> so simply put, there are times where you can, you know, use debt to accumulate an asset, which then, you know, you can generate income and that's fine, but that doesn't always work. Right. There's plenty of people right now. We're, we're dealing with a, a pandemic who, you know, they have debt from things like that, student loan debt, things like that. And then now they, maybe they lost their job. So, you know, debt works sometimes, but if you can really get debt free, that's really where I would like, anybody to be it really doesn't matter how much money you make and if you're debt free and whenever that check comes in no matter how big or small it is you only have minimal expenses out you know living expenses you know and then you're keeping the rest of it that's a good position to be in that's where i I hope more more people in our community kind of thrive to be in that position because that is what kind of really opens you up to take a different job um maybe do something in entrepreneurship, you know, it really gives you more, more options. So that takes away those options. And yeah. 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 I'm not, I'm, I don't believe that is good. I, I believe that is a crime based on how they push it on like students and people with low education. Right. I think it should be a crime, but that's just, you know, my, my two cents. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as business, you know, I worked for a uh, small, small government contracting mm-hmm. company. And in that situation, we had to take loans to pay employees and to, but those, those employees that we paid were helping us generate revenue. Mm -hmm. So there is, there are some circumstances where debt could be used to help bring in income, like you said, but if it's not used, if it's not being used to generate more money, then I don't think there's any point for it. Right. And it's just, it's kind of a slippery slope. Like sometimes you can. You can really equate like, okay, this is the fixed amount of debt that we're going to incur. And then this is how much money we're going to be able to make off of it. Um, And then that's fine. But then there's always that, that, that back, that back slap. Like for instance, if you use debt to like acquire a rental property, right. 
So let's right. let's just say that the payment is five hundred bucks and the rent you're collecting is eight hundred bucks. You know that's all well and good as long as that renter is paying that eight hundred bucks. You're making you know three hundred dollars right a month or whatever. But let's say like that renter doesn't pay, they lost their job, whatever. You still got to pay that five hundred bucks, and the bank doesn't care <laughs> what the story is, right? So right. so you know it it worked when the eight hundred dollars was coming in, but now that the $800 isn't coming in, you still paying that $500 out. So, you know, that's, that's how it, you know, it can work for you or against you. But for instance, like, let's say there was no debt on that property. Um, then yeah, you got $800 coming in, in that example. Right. So that's, right. that's a lot better than the 300. Um, yep. and then if, yep. if, if the, if the, uh, if the tenant couldn't pay, then you're not paying out 500 and not collecting anything. So, I mean, you can't, argue with the math of that equation right if you don't have that um you know to me you you, you kind of move different you know and it's a better position to be in so um moving past debt how kind of branching and how people actually get into mm-hmm. debt some of the causes how does one's upbringing affect their ability or their mindset about money. Their adult, their adult yeah. mindset about money. Yeah. Um, so we, me and you are both are in our, our mid-30s, right? So I think that we just analyzed our our demographic, our generation. We've been through the you know, the the, the Great Recession, right? We're dealing with the the coronavirus now. Um I think that you'd be foolish to think that that doesn't affect have a long-term effect on like how you handle money. A lot of us saw, or a lot of us experienced um, like, you know, foreclosure and, you know, maybe bankruptcies from our parents or, 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 you know, aunts, uncles, things of that nature. So, yeah. So, I mean, you, you've seen how, you know, finances and things of that nature and the handling of money have like, you know, wrecked you, wrecked, if it didn't happen to you directly, then it happened to a friend or a cousin or some. Nobody could, could could have lived through that era and said like nobody they knew kind of went through some hardships, right? So um, I say all that to say that like your parents or the people that are very close to you, how they handle money is going to have some type of effect on you, right? Um, and it could be positive, it could be negative, and you might not. You you really might have to slow down and think why you are the way you are with money, but it probably has a lot to do with like your upbringing, right? There's a, there's a piece of uh, personal finance that I would say there's a math part and then there's a psychological part and the psychological part has, it, it, it it's like way more complicated than the math. Like most of the math of personal finance is like third grade math, fourth grade math, adding, subtracting, multiplying, division, a little bit of algebra, whatever. It's not that complicated. But the psychological effects of like how people behave with money or why they do things, you know, who's a spender, who's a saver, things of that nature. That's usually rooted to like your upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And even me, like, I think I was lucky to study accounting and finance, really, because that's what really put my mind into saving money and being aware Mm -hmm. of how you spend and I mean, when I was in, when I graduated college, 
I had student loan debt and I went out and bought a car and stuff like that. So, I mean, I've made decisions that aren't the best financially, right. but they're not the worst. We all have, but, though. We all have. But, <laughs> yeah. But then if you look at, like, like you said, our uncles, parents and stuff like that, like, we were just doing what they were doing and they were, right. they were living wrong. But you didn't honestly. know. You didn't know any better. You were too young to kind of really understand that they were, you know, living wrong and then, you know, the the cards fell in 2008, 2009 and... It got ugly for a lot of folk, man. A lot of folk, and um, yeah, I would even say that you know those those are a little bit younger, and they like say they were still in the house when all that all those things were happening. Like we were in college, right at that point. Say you were yeah. like you know tenth grade when all of that shakeup was happening, um, like, and now the whole trajectory of your life or your, or, or just your everyday life was disturbed. Like you were, you say you were comfortable before that. And then you guys were evicted out on the street, you know, went from the, the big house in Mitchellville to, to, you know, renting, you know, whatever you could in a two bedroom, you know what I'm saying? Like anything like that is going to have an effect on, on somebody for their pretty much the rest of their life. Like there's people who grew up during the, you know, the great depression who were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years afterwards, still so tight with money just because they remember those days growing up where there was no money, where there was so much instability. So they don't trust anybody. You know, it bleeds into so many other areas of your life um, as far as the, the it, that just bleeds everywhere, you know? So um, for people who didn't have that upbringing, and and yeah. financial literacy, they yeah. want to get started now. Um, I know you follow Dame right Dame loosely. Francis, right? Um, I definitely follow his. He has like uh, it's a baby step plan. So he has a plan before Dave Ramsey. Um, this going way back, but when I graduated from college, I moved to Kentucky for a year. I don't even know if you remember that, but um, that's where like, there was nothing to do. So like on Saturday afternoons, there was no bar hopping. I was in the middle of Kentucky. So I used to just watch TVs, flip the channels. And, um, I actually started watching Susie Orban. If you ever, if you know who that is, that's so, that's kind of where my first like financial backing came from Susie Orban. And then I, I started getting to Dave Ramsey. That was more recently, like the last, three, four years is when I started. I even heard about Dave Ramsey, but, but yeah, they both have like a, like a, a, a very concrete plan of how they feel people should handle their finances. It has to do with, you know, eliminating debt and investing, saving and investing more or less. That's what it has to do with. And I, I do feel like for the black community, that is kind of a pretty good guide of um, like what we need to be kind of doing because it just opens up so many other doors when when you when you have an emergency plan when you don't have any debt and you're investing it's just it opens up a lot of different doors okay um how would you okay so i'm i'm a 20 or 19 20 21 year old person who wants to get mm-hmm. financially stable mm-hmm. wants to create a plan Lay out a lay out. I mean, uh, summarize briefly a, a plan, a goal setting strategy, or a or the seven steps. Or the okay, so Ramsey we can we can out. talk about the Dave Ramsey plan first. Um, so baby step, they call it seven baby steps. So the first step is to get a thousand dollars saved as a uh, 
of the emergency plan. And thousand dollars ain't gonna cover much, but it's better than having nothing, right? Then step two is to eliminate your debt. So he's big on that. And what he wants you to do is they they call the approach the debt snowball. So you're gonna list out all your debts from smallest to largest, and then you're gonna pay the minimum on all of them, right? And then whatever money you have left, you're gonna attack the smallest one, like in a like you're gonna sprinkle that money or dump that money on that one until it's gone. And then when your smallest debt is gone, you're gonna take that payment and roll it to the second one, so forth, so forth and so on. Um, so that's baby step two. Then baby step three is to now, after you've um, eliminated all your debt, is to increase your emergency fund for to three to six months of expenses. So that's the next one. That that that'll probably take you a couple months. But also remember, at this point, you don't have any debt, so you're going to have a lot better cash flow. Um, and then baby step four would be to start investing fifteen percent of your income into your retirement accounts. Step five would be if you have kids to start your college fund. Um, and then step six is to pay off your mortgage if you have that. And pay, and step seven is just to be generous. Um, I mean, just imagine that, you know, you get through those first six steps. I mean, what do you do with money at that point? You do whatever you want. So you can be generous, as generous as you want to be, right? So that's his baby steps. Um, they work. I did them. So now I'm on like baby step four, five, six. Those are done like simultaneously. So that's kind of where I am. Um, and I love being at that point. Um, but it's hard work. It's not it's not like some easy street at all. Um, getting debt free. Um, it's not easy, but there are a lot of rewards to it. But overall, like you, you'll see like, you know, that plan is a it's a great plan. Um, Susie Ordman plan. More or less is similar, but you're doing some things kind of simultaneously. That's kind of the difference between the two, at least when when I was introduced to Dave. That's what I saw. Um, but, but you know what? Like, you can come up with your own plan. Like, you can follow those plans or you can come up with your own plan. But what I say with any plan that you come up with, it needs to be what I call smart, right? So it needs to be a smart plan. So it just needs to be – these things need to be spelled out. And the approach to your plan needs to be very defined. Um, so, did you want me to get into what SMART was? I think I, I think I sent you that. Um, uh, we can we can we okay. can uh, roll that back later. Yeah, I mean, um, no, actually, you know what? Just just summarize it real quick. I mean, I, I mean pretty much. It's just, for instance, like when you see one of the problems I have with like social media when it comes to certain stuff is like, you'll see stuff like, like, like financial goals or home goals. Somebody bought a house, they got this new car or whatever. And that's really not a goal, right? <laughs> it's just a thing that they've acquired. You don't know how they acquired it. So when somebody labels that that way, um, it kind of is like, to me, it's like, it's kind of misleading, you know? So I would just say that, um, it just needs to have elements to your plan. So it needs to be, um, gosh, I'm looking for the thing, but it needs to be, um, we can actually roll back to towards that a little bit later. Okay. So, yeah. So let's, so we got, past, yeah. I guess the general, 
knowledge of finance and um, uh, yeah, managing your money and wealth. I think we're going to get into the, some of the more personal or more you know right. things that pertain to us. Um, yep. All right, my question. Yes, yeah. because you're a real estate agent. So I'm I, I'm right. I'm renting right now. Uh, I was looking to buy a house before, but now I, I waited where I was at. In in general, is it better to rent or own or or? So I know I know the common knowledge is that it's better to own, but I know people who've lost mm-hmm. their houses, right? So um, in general, is it better to rent or own? And what is a scenario where it's better to rent? And what is a scenario where it's better to own? So there's there's definitely a, uh, there's a scenario for both. So some people always tell you, oh, everybody should, you know, own. And that was actually the problem or one of the main problems with what happened with the financial collapse. They were trying to, you know, home ownership was being pushed in an irresponsible way where people, a lot of people that, probably shouldn't have been homeowners or becoming homeowners because they they had a product for everybody. So if you wanted to be a homeowner, you know, no matter what your credit score was, what your income was, they had something that they could get you up in there. Right. And then when those, when those mortgages, if they adjusted or whatever happened to them, the rates adjusted, things of that nature, then that was really the problem. And then also then there was job loss. So it was just a, it was a, a boiling point. So there's a there's a point where renting makes sense. Um, I would say, like, say you're, you know, maybe you're fresh out of school or you're in a new city, things of that nature. Um, you know, you go, you go ahead and rent. It's fine. Um, it, renting is good for the short term until you have, like, a long-term view. If you're only going to be in a city, like, say you got an assignment for some job for, like, two years then more than likely renting probably makes more sense than, than buying. So I would tell somebody, go ahead, probably rent, especially maybe you're in a place that you have no, you don't want to stay here long-term. You just know like, nah, I'm just going to be here for, for as long as I got to be here for this job. So renting, renting is fine short-term and then long-term though, um, that that's what home ownership is more or less about. If you're going to, you know, if you're married to a city, like say, you know, you grew up here, your your whole family's here, all your friends are here, you don't really see yourself, you know, going elsewhere, then, you know, you probably should get into a property so that, you know, there's a lot of benefits with home ownership. So you should probably get on that train sooner than later, but there's no rush to it. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a way, there's a process to actually, you know, acquire a home in a correct way so that you're not in a bind, so that you're not spending too much money on it, so that you, you know, really understand what's going on. So there's no rush to it, um, but over the long term, yes, home ownership is probably the way that you want to go. Yeah, I definitely agree, but I, I definitely need to advise people to don't buy more house. Yeah, well, the same with the same way I would say don't rent more house than you need, than you need to as well. Like, um, you know, if you're going to rent, then rent somebody something reasonable. You know, you're renting if you're renting for the short term. You know, you want to be comfortable, but you don't need to, you know, rent the Taj Mahal, you know, get a reasonable rent somewhere and then, you know, save your money, invest your money so that, you know, you can step out there and maybe, you know, go ahead and, you know, own. So, you know, that's kind of the, I would, you know, tell yeah. people, but yeah. Yeah. Like me, I got tired of paying 
apart, making uh, people who own apartment complexes rich, and then they do stuff like I can't move yeah. out in sixty days, and I don't get my security deposit back based on right. some arbitrary thing that you just made up, which is right. proof that I didn't do it. So I got really messed. I got really mad at the whole apartment life because it's it's really just a, to me it's it's a ineffective financial dis, uh, way to to, mm-hmm. to to live. So when I do rent now, I try to rent from people mm-hmm. that I know. To me, that's a mutual benefit. Like if I can rent from a cousin, or uh, an uncle, or a good friend, I'm helping mm-hmm. him pay his mortgage, his or her mortgage, and they're offering me a place to live, and it's kind of like yeah. a mutual beneficial yeah. situation. And it's built and it's putting money back into yeah. our community. So if I'm renting from right. you, I'm putting money in your pocket. Right. It's just an effective way to go about it. And it's just, what I would say. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 For me, that's my that's my way, and, and it's cheaper too because. Typically, your uncle or your aunt or your friend or your cousin is not going to charge you $1,000 for a right. room in a, in a yeah. house, you know? So, so yeah. So, that's just the way I do it. And if it's a basement, maybe, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's still it's still cheaper. So, we're going to move. We're going to move on. Let me adjust my audio real quick. Give me one second. Yeah. I can you, you, you hear me clear, right? All right. So, um. When you're preparing mm-hmm. to buy a home, what are the steps that you need to take to get yourself ready to buy the home? Um, I think step one is that you need to know, like, this might take a little while. This might take three, six months. It could t- take a year plus. It really depends on your situation and your – there's a couple things that you're going to need to do. Um, one thing is you need to probably check your credit, right? You need to check your credit see what your credit score is, but then also if there's anything like negative, negatively affecting your credit score, um, like late payments or, uh, you know, anything like that, or, you know, charged off accounts, things of that nature. So you definitely need to do a credit check for yourself and everybody ought to do that once a year. Anyway, a lot of people, I don't know where the myth come up, comes up that, you know, if I check my credit score, that's going to you know hurt my score or whatever. It's not, um, go ahead and check and know where you're at. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I can I jump in with that real quick? Yeah, there's, there's so many free credit mm-hmm. checking options like Credit Karma. Like your bank right. offers you your credit score as well. There's I mean there's so many free options. Now if you want to get a loan or buy a house or something and the bank mm-hmm. checks your credit, the bank might lower your score because when the bank checks it, they yeah. get hard. And depending on what you're checking for, like say, say for instance, you go get an auto loan, right? You go to the dealership and you get a, you, you want to run your credit for an auto loan. Well, sometimes depending on the actual um, car, car place, they're going to do, uh, the pool is going to like check your credit through like 10 agencies or 10, 10 of their dealers, right? So it's like getting 10 pools at one time and that's something that can affect your credit score in a negative way but if you're doing something like credit karma something like it's just you know one pool especially by you that's the safer way to do it now again when you're going to um to that car dealership or something like that it's like a broker now going and running your credit report with 10 different places or 12 or 20 so something like that you know that's what looks crazy to the to the agencies, and that could potentially, um, you know, decrease your your credit score. Especially if, like, say you're shopping for a car, you go to, you know, place A, right? And they they did that, 
but you said like, oh, no, I'm not going to get that car. And then you go to a different dealership a couple days later or the same day, and they run it again. It's not like they only ran it twice. Again, what I said is that they ran it, you know, like it's like they almost hit it 10 times when you went to that first place and 10 times when you went to the other place. So now it looks like it looks very janky to, uh, you know, Equifax or whatever. So that can negatively affect your score. But um, everybody ought to know, like, you should know what your credit score is or you can have that monitoring through your, you know, your bank or whatever to know about where you are. So that's that's kind of like step A, know where you are and know what you need. And then educate yourself on, like, um, what type of loan you probably would qualify for, given that. So there's different um, loan types, FHA, conventional, maybe USDA if you live in the country, something like that, VA if you are, you know, in the armed forces or were in the armed forces. So there's different types of, of loan types, but know what you would potentially qualify for. And then... You're going to need to, at some point, yeah. you know, get a pre-approval um, and then select an agent. Some people go, you know, find an agent first, then get their pre-approval or vice versa. Either one is is fine. But, you know, that's, you know, those are the couple of the just couple of the small nuggets. And then no, OK, you know, no, your pre-approval is going to drive, you know, how much you're approved for. And then that's going to, you know, kind of drive where you can buy or what you can buy, you know. So the pre-approval is a, you know, it's an important step. It can happen again before, before or after you meet your agent. Yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. buying a house, right? That's buying your, your, your primary house, buying your first house. It's a big deal for most people. It's the most right? expensive thing you're probably going to purchase. Um, yeah, and it can yeah, be scary, but you know, everything's scary the first It'll time, be right? <laughs> um. Yeah. Um but when you let's let's say you want to buy a house and you pay it down a mm -hmm. couple of years and you have a little bit of equity, now you want to maybe be the real estate investor and you know and rent out houses or flip houses. Um, would you recommend doing that or like would you, what is your what is your opinion on leverage, leveraging your house to be Yeah, to I'm not invest. a big fan of the leveraging your house. Um, just because you're creating a, you know, some debt, right? So when you you talking about you know pulling out equity, so then now you have either you have a new loan or you know you can refi and do that, whatever. However you do it, you're gonna you're gonna have more debt, right? And then we've already kind of discussed why debt isn't good. So you know that's why I'm not a big fan of that. If you kind of want to go down that route, I would just I would probably just keep those two those two things independent of one another. And if that means that you got to save up that money that you need for that investment property or whatever, then that's kind of how I would do it. Yeah. It might take a little bit longer, but that's to me, that's the safer way to kind of go about it. And I, I gotta, I gotta go back to that. You, you were yeah. in several right. banks so, after they closed. So you know what yeah. bad financial yeah. I mean, I mean, I could talk about that just briefly. Like, so basically, what would happen when the bank would fail is that the bank would be sold to another bank, right, at a discount, so they would get a good deal. Um, but then there, there's all this trailing work, and then sometimes, for instance, like Bank A failed, Bank B bought Bank A, but Bank B maybe didn't buy all the loans from Bank A, like all the crazy loans, maybe all the ORE, all the foreclosures and whatnot. Maybe they said, ah, we don't want that stuff. 
that stuff is crap. Or they would only take like say what they call performing loans. So at, at some point, like we, I used to start digging through loan files, like through my work, and then you could see these loans, and you're like, who made this loan? It doesn't make any sense. Like, like you know, you're making you know forty, fifty k, and it's like a eight hundred thousand dollar. Like, how does this happen? But again, they just had a product for every every situation. They were just trying to get people into homes and collect origination fees and whatnot. They didn't. They the people that were making them, they didn't even care what was going to happen to the loan. They knew it was going to be bad. They didn't care. They were making money. So, um, yeah, they were going to make money. They were going to make money. They didn't really care. Like, you know, still on, did they care if you graduate? No. Um, they didn't care, you know, if, if you were able to afford the home two years from now when the, when the interest tripled, like they didn't care. They were making their loan, making their money and keeping it moving. So, um, so that, I mean, that was that time and place. Hopefully that never comes back because, it is not good. And this is coming from a real estate agent now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I care about, you know, doing a deal, but I, I care about my customer enough to where we need to do a deal that makes sense, right? We don't need to be doing the deal where you can't sleep at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I can't operate like that. So, um, let's say a person makes around $60,000, $70,000 a year, right? He's a single person or might be married, but they're only bringing in like 60, mm-hmm. 60 or 70,000 a year, right? How much home do you think that person should yeah. buy? I mean, I know you don't have a calculator right now, but in your that's a rough estimate. Like, what's too much? Uh, for that I mean, person? 60, 70. I mean, again, so another piece of the pie is uh, they call it debt to income ratio. So, like, does this person have debt or does this person not have debt? That's going to make a big difference between like Let's how assume- much this person is approved. So, it's not even like really what I think. It's really just how it's going to be. Like this person has $120,000 of debt of different types. doesn't really matter. Then this person isn't going to get approved for a lot of money, if at all, you know? So. Right. So let's assume that this person is a pretty decent, um, um, pretty decent with their financial management. Uh, you know, on average, everybody yeah. has at least like five, 10,000, 15,000 worth of debt yeah. floating around out there. So let's say, let's say they're around there between like yeah, five that, and fifty thousand. I mean, that, that person might be um, able to get but, like you know two fifty, maybe three hundred. It, it kind of depends on how their credit is. So again, all these factors kind of go into play. So everybody, you know, don't like quote me that oh, Aze said if I make sixty seventy, I should be able to get this. All those other factors are going to play, and then also just the you know the market, depending on you know what's going on in the market, that makes a big big uh big difference as well like right now given covid and all of that some of the uh guidelines and requirements for certain loans are getting stricter so you know three months ago and then now it's a different story for the same person with the same profile you know so you might get a yes three months ago and then now it's a no so that's happening a lot in the market right now there's a lot of people who like maybe started the process early in the year and then maybe they're even under contract and then by the time they try to go finalize their loan well we don't want a 640 credit score no more we want a 660 so answer is no so you know what i'm saying like that's mm. why you really need to be in tune with where you're at and try to increase uh, or put yourself in the best position where it's not a hope and a prayer that you get qualified or you get the house at the end of the day put yourself in the best position i mean most a lot of people if you um you know you work with your if you really want to focus it on your credit, you could you could fix that in a, you know you know six months or if not a lot less you know, 
um, your debt to income ratio. If you really, you know, want to have a house, then you can put yourself in a position where maybe you knock out some of those smaller ones or all of your debt or whatever. So, I mean, if you really focus on it, I'd say that most people are less than a year away from a home if they really want to be. Put it like that, you know. All right. All right. So, yeah, let's talk about a, a juicy topic. Relationships okay. and finances. Because I really don't think people understand how important money and finance okay. is in relationships and marriage. Like the number one thing that causes divorce in this country yeah, is it is number one money issues. <laughs> and you know why it's number one? Because a lot and of people pe- don't take a little bit of time on the front end. So maybe they don't do maybe they don't do any uh, premarital counseling. But even if you do, sometimes they just like tap money. There's all these other factors too, right? So they might you know they might just do an hour on the money thing, and that's not enough. Like. You guys need to have some serious talks if you're getting married, especially. You need to have some serious talks about money, what your your mindset is, their mindset is, what they want in the future. You know, what's your credit? You know, all these things are gonna they're gonna play out sooner or later. So you might as well put those cards on the table now. You know what I mean? So you, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump to this question then. Um, how soon should they start talking about? money and finances like when they first start dating. Mm, You said dating like before everybody you 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 gotta school me now bro I'm out the game. So when you say dating is like yo we've been on a couple dates this is my this is lady or this is just you know who I'm dating no no we go out every once again I just met her like a month ago. No I mean not like a you know not like a Mm -hmm. you know a, a situation. No like all right, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm considering like, yo, I think I like this person. This person feels the same way. Like, we think mm-hmm. we can make it. You know, we can do something with this. Like, not just like, hey, I'm just, you know what I mean? No, no, not a situation. I think first off, you need to just pay anyway, attention. Keep... Number one. Um, but as far as like real hard, like you know, what's up with this? What is this? What is that? I mean, I don't think that. I think that too early is is like alarming. <laughs> so I, I mean, I think if if it was my girlfriend, then that's something that you know that I could you know really inquire about. But if if we're just kicking it or whatever, or we're just really getting to know each other or something like that, then you know what I'm saying like she asking me what my credit score is and you know how much money I make exactly. I don't know if that's going to make me too comfortable. What about you? What do you feel? All right, so look, I mean, this is just how I feel. Once, right. and you're right, too soon will scare somebody away. But I yeah. mean, I talk about money because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm an accountant, you know? So I talk about I talk about money in my regular yeah. conversations with my oh, regular you? friends, you know? That's interesting because so I, probably, I would think that, or I would say that we actually don't do that enough with my friends. Oh, yeah, well. It's not common, but you know, we 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 got like WhatsApp groups and stuff. Like, how often? No, but like in depth, as far as like like how much money you making, how much money you saving, you know, like that sort of stuff. Like, you know. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! I mean, oh yeah! So like, really, really personal questions, like how much debt do you have? And so I mean, I mean, I do ask my friends their salary, how much they make every now and then. I do taxes too, so I've done people's taxes. I've seen 
how much. And there's another thing, man. I know dudes who went to like grad school and PhD mm-hmm. and, and and like not making a whole lot. And I know dudes who did like like um uh, mm-hmm. you know like um criminal justice, making over six figures because they work for like the you know NSA or work for like mm-hmm. a, a, a so, you know Secret Service and like mm-hmm. in like, or the Pentagon. I'm like, yo, it's, it's crazy. That's a whole other conversation. But no, I know. So I, a couple of my friends, I know how much they make, you know, because we talk about money, and I and I always give them advice. Yeah, but I, I guess I guess my point is it depends on the friend and it depends on how like how well you guys have you know know each other and whatnot. So it just takes a little time before I guess to say is it appropriate for for me to ask such a question to your person of interest, if you would. So yeah, for for me, right. I guess it would be like if that was about to be my girlfriend or was my girlfriend not pretty much any sooner so yeah. that's just me okay okay so that's, yeah and when i say dating i guess yeah, I'm you, really well, you gotta you gotta you know, clearly define like your girl thing <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah so i'm gonna say relation yeah not not like yeah. dates like okay this is my girlfriend should i wait three months whatever, before we talk about finances to me again, should i do it when we first whatever you think like yeah i'm about to you know claim i'm about to cover <laughs> That's when we can, you know, get down into some finances like really deep. But even before that, I'm gonna be paying attention. You know what I mean? If if Shorty, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, if, yeah. if every other call is a bill collector, you know what I mean? Like, then you already know what's going on. You know, she's overextending herself, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, they, they might, but you know, if you're like spending time with somebody and every other call is like, yo, I'm not picking that up. You're like, yo, what's going on? You know what I mean? Who's that? Is it the ex boyfriend's the bill collector? <laughs> I mean, what's going on? You know what I mean? I don't know. Is it the baby daddy? Why? I got you. I got you. All right, so I'm gonna move on to the next question. <laughs> I, I I extended yeah. that one a little far. Um, mm-hmm. in marriage, right? Do you believe in joint accounts or do you think uh, you have separate finances? I think joint. The bulk of your stuff needs to be joint. You don't need to be having these separate lives. <laughs> um. So yeah, true. I I mean I go into what I do like the bulk of our money between my wife and I like I don't know ninety percent goes into our joint account and that's where we live our lives and then we have this both have a little side side money to you know do whatever you want to do I don't care what you do over there but it, it's so nominal right ten percent that you know I, that that's why I don't care so I mean that's a way to do it some people do everything joint you can do that but. Um, if you're going to be married and whatnot, to have just two separate, you know, accounts and that's it. Like, I don't, I don't see how you're like building together with that. And some people are going to disagree, of course, but that's not how I'm rocking. So I don't need any secrets. Yeah. 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 Not. I mean, you know, we're African. Our personal philosophy <laughs> is joint. What? Yeah. Joint. I mean, I mean, something separate. I'm sorry. Separate. What? Separate. What? What? But you know, but that's a, that's us. But I have a lot of friends who aren't African, mm-hmm. and we've had this discussion, and it's like, hey, no damn way, I'm putting my account with hers. Like, I don't. know. That's a, a psychological, the psychological thing you were talking about earlier. See how that bleeds into like somebody if they don't trust you, you know, or they don't trust your money management or whatever that little thing is in the air, in the back. Then you know, what I'm saying like you having those two separate accounts, that's not actually. That's kind of you just kind of hiding from the actual issue, you know what I'm saying? Not tackling it on, on hand. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. So um so I guess that's gonna mm-hmm. be the same answer for my next question. Yeah. It's it my is. debt. You don't debt believe me when the judge divide everything. <laughs> now real quick then. <laughs> yeah, so they um, would divide that debt too. Any joint debts, yeah. Um I think I'm I'm not a lawyer and all that good stuff, but something like like student loan debt, I, I believe they can't really like divide between the two people and you know they'll look into all of that type of stuff when it was acquired yada yada but you know if you you know you you get married and you got a little house you got a little mortgage and it's time to you know call it quits mr judge is gonna look at y'all and say well what are we gonna do with the house and we got the mortgage this thing gotta be it, it's gotta be you know equaled out and they're gonna look at the retirement accounts they're gonna look at the cash yada 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 and it's got to be, you know, divvied up appropriately. So, so um, so uh, I guess the next question then. You talk about your finances and your debt and all that, and you realize your partner mm-hmm. that you're really thinking that you want to mm-hmm. make your wife or your husband has a lot of debt, mm-hmm. and you want to get married, right? Would you advise? Okay, look. We're going to postpone this marriage until you get the situation together. Is that fair? Is that mm-hmm. fair? Or, or I, I wouldn't I mean, do what, that. What's your opinion um, about that? I, I wouldn't postpone. I, to me, if that was a situation with me, I would just, I would be like, hey, look, this is an issue. We got to deal with this issue. Um, and your approach or your response and then your actions from then forward tells me everything whether I need to, you know, go forward with the marriage or not. So, and that's not just with money. That would be with anything. Like if your if your spouse asked you or told you that, you know, there was some other area in your life that was a problem for you, then you have a decision to be made before you get married. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not an ultimatum or nothing, but you know, if that, if that's not going to be addressed and, and you're not comfortable with that, then just don't go through with it. I, I wouldn't like string them along and all this type of stuff. So, um, yeah, that would be my approach. And I, I, I also feel like, I don't know, in this day and age, we put too much into, like, somebody's, like, current status and not their story, right? So somebody could be in a bad financial situation, and maybe they got there out of some things that were out of their control. I'm all about, you know, ownership of, uh, of, your, of your story and whatnot in your situation. But, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody got sick, they got, you know, some medical bills, they didn't have... Uh, medical insurance or something like that and that's why they're in a bind or maybe they're just uh outrageous spender and they just went credit card crazy whatever the story is um it just is like okay you realize that are you working on that you know what i'm saying like so again your actions are gonna you know play more to me of an important whether if i'm in that situation what i'm gonna do not just because oh you got a hundred thousand in debt i go i can't do that i'm out no nah. I need to know the whole story, the whole situation. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. That's uh, that's fair. I guess as a, <laughs> I kind of feel bad asking do? these questions because I mean, to, to me, they're real. So, um, I definitely think that uh, that the debt has to be, yeah, like you said. Now I'm going to steal from you. Mm-hmm. It has the debt has to be addressed. So it definitely got to right. be up front. But then how you handle the debt, to me, is important. You know, like, 
Is, what is your plan to get out of it? Have you been working to get right. out of it? How big it was? What are you doing, doing right now? now you know. Right. And what are you doing? And if I don't feel comfortable with that, um, that right. what you show, I really feel like because I mean it's going to be an issue in the marriage. And again, we said the number one issue mm-hmm. issue in marriage, at least a divorce, is finances. You know, so I mean, to me, it would be uh, you know, I, but I like you, I I would watch how they handle it, how we address it, and if I yeah. don't like the result. I'll just walk away. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's good. Me. Everybody got their own opinion. But, uh, I'm sure that maybe when the ladies hear this and some of the fellas, when they hear this, they'll have different responses. And, you know, to me, that's fine. Um, but <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with, marriage is not by force. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean? I'm, like, I'm not going to say that I'm going to comfortable with the situation. Yeah, marriage cool, is definitely bro. not by force. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but... um. I'm not gonna say I'm not saying I'm just gonna walk away somebody who got into a bad spot or whatever or who needs help. I'm I'm more I guess I'm more so looking at okay, how do you react right. to this? Are you compounding it or are you right are like you if, if it was something that happened five years I mean, ago and you just you know you just haven't thought about it, done anything about it, like that really is a problem to me. Because right, so like it means your solution yes. is, you know, I'm just supposed to handle it when we get married. Like, you know, that would be a problem for me. But you know, if this is something that was like more recent and you've learned from it and you now have different actions and you're taking some steps to correct it, to get out of it, then see, that's showing me that, hey, I can work with this person. Right. But the other the other, you know, the other way, like, oh, you know, I don't know, you know, hopelessness or something like nah, I, I can't rock with that. Um. Do you use a brokerage or do you use like Acorns or Wealthfront, mm-hmm. Betterment, uh, Robinhood? Or, or what is your opinion of those newer kind of investment strategies? Uh, like I use a traditional brokerage. I guess you said called the traditional. I use E-Trade for my stuff. Um, but I've been using it for so long that these other things weren't even around when I started doing it. So, um, But to me, I think people get hung up too much on the on the platform. And then they don't actually invest. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter, is my answer. Um, just do something. <laughs> and and keep it and keep doing something. And you yeah. can, you know, you can start here and you can use that platform for a couple of years. And if you get introduced to another one and that one works better for you for where you are then, then yeah, you can switch and roll over your accounts or whatever. So to me, it really doesn't matter. Um, a lot of people you know, kind of ask me that with my financial coach and they ask me, you know, eh, which, which one should I use? And to me, it doesn't matter. Pick one, put them all in the hat and pick one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, they are, in my, my opinion, yeah, exactly. my opinion, they always exactly. lead to the same result. Yeah. And some don't charge. Fees, well, there was a change so. recently that most of those brokers now, as far as like, you know, buying and selling stocks, there are no transaction fees. So now they're more equal on that realm. Some of the bigger ones, like okay, after, right, right, right. Know, Acorns and all these smaller ones, or you know, millennial ones, if you would, um, started doing those type of things. They had to kind of match that. So, so you know, now like for E Trade, like when I make a trade, there's no six ninety nine or five ninety nine or whatever it was it used to be to get in and out of a trade. There is no fee. So that's to me, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot less right, barriers right. now. So I mean. You just gotta, you know, pick one. Don't matter. Pick one. Pick one. 
in, pick some stocks or pick some you know, you? mutual funds or whatever, pick some stuff and, and get going. I don't do all Do that. you play with I'm, options? I'm pretty and much holding like for hold, buy and okay. hold long. Um, I don't, you know, mess with options and all that. I, I've never sat down to really, really understand all of that. I understand the, the basic concepts of it, but I've never, you can lose a lot or make a lot with that. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not that type of investor. I'm yeah, definitely long-term slow cooker type of investor. So, but hey, if that's your thing and you got the cash and you, and you have the stomach, <laughs> then knock yourself out. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's yeah. something that I I might try to dabble in in the near future. But yeah. you know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make an episode about it in my because I, I don't. Yeah, I don't a, lot, a lot of people I think well, with finances yeah. they just kind of share the wins and not the losses. And trust me, if you're if you're doing anything at a pretty good uh, for a long amount of time, you, you're not going to go undefeated. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've exactly. taken massive it's, losses. It's just about to me. <laughs> it's not about. Uh, it, it's about being over 500, right? <laughs> yeah, or being better yeah, breaking than breaking even. even, right? Like, it's about winning in the long term. So, right. you know, if you pick 10 stocks and six of them were good and four of them were bad, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and if, and if you're still up at the end of the day, up. then yeah, that's what it's all about, you know, the pursuit of, the pursuit of, uh, you know, achievement in that, in that room, yeah. I guess my biggest advice to everybody out there who does play around in the stock market, don't get too emotional. And right. Don't start dumping all your money into one or two stocks. Right. That's right. stuff that you will get, get your better. head taken off. You'll and I've, I've, I've taken many a L yeah. and many a D. Yeah, exactly. So it's if so you're long in it long enough, then that's what's going to happen. Like anybody who just tells you that, you know, it's been all roses and all that, they lie in. And I, I, I got to say, you got to diversify. Right. Don't just do one type of thing. Like, do stocks, do right. bonds, have savings accounts. Because, like, I mean, you can't put you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You got to spread it around. Mm-hmm. It's, to me, it's all the savings anyway. So just to save it in different places. It's, it's not a money maker. You're not going to get rich. But it's a long-term savings that yields you right. some uh, small interest rate. You know, and then you might get some dividends or whatever. But it's, for, right. it's, it's helping you save for, the, yeah. you know, for, your, for your future. But yeah, but um, I think that that's we have to go back to the the smart goals because we tripped up on that. But so so, so again, um, right, no matter right. what your plan is for anything, it really this is not just for money. But if you're gonna have a goal, period, a goal is a goal if it is smart, and that's gonna stand for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and then time bound. So you need to have like a specific goal, like hey, I want to save. $5,000 this year, or I want to pay off this credit card, which is $4,000 or whatever that is. So very specific thing, measurable, you know, how much, right? And then achievable would mean like, realistically, can this happen in this time frame that I've given? So for instance, this is 2020, you know, if you said that I want to save, I want to have $25,000 saved by the end of this year. And right now you have no money, and you know what I mean? Like you need to come up with twenty five thousand dollars by the end of the year. Like, well, how much money are you gonna make? 
what are your expenses, right? So you need to run through that thing and say, like, okay, are you going to be able to save three, $4,000 a month? You know what I mean? Like, because if you can't, then that's not now achievable, right? Um, realistic is just, again, running through, is it feasible, right, by, the, by this time frame? And then time-bound, you need to have specific time allotment, you know, by the end of this month, by the end of this year, in three years, in five years. So goals that have all of those elements, those are actual goals in my book. Um, so, yeah. And you, people people need the goals in all areas of your life. Like, uh, beginning of the year, that's one of the things I do. I set goals in several different areas of my life, but I make sure that they're smart goals, that they have these elements, or it's a wish. And it's okay to wish, but wishes don't always come true. Goals... Can <laughs> right, but I'd rather I'd rather right. get close well, to a wish and fail yeah, yeah. than not be close to it at all. So if I got twelve, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then I wasn't. I see, that was a goal. But if you just kind of wake up one day and say, "Oh yeah, I want to say 15 and you don't fifteen when fifteen how? Like you got to come up with you know elements of that plan. How are you going to go about doing that? You know what I mean? It's not going to just happen by itself so you know you got to have those elements if you're really going to achieve something and it doesn't matter what that what that thing is not just money you know cool cool all right man well i appreciate okay. the conversation man and hopefully i'm going to get you back on here to do some more talks okay. man you yeah know, it doesn't even have to be about finance it could be about anything but um uh so you have my last plugs plug is know, right now. um so I'm a financial coach that information is it's called King's Financial Coach and that's King's Financial Coach at Gmail. It's the best way to get in touch with me for that. Um as far as real estate, anything real estate related, especially if you want. I probably have to come back and do a whole spiel about like grants and things of that nature, like a deep dive. But it'll just be Aze Amadi Realtor at Gmail and I can be reached Call, text 240-476-5538 if you actually have any one-on-one questions. I do, you know, free consultations on any of this type of stuff that we kind of discussed today or if you just want to shoot the breeze, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's some plugs, you know, get in contact, stay in contact. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna tag you on Facebook. Appreciate that. Process, so then you can put whatever you want underneath that. Too. All right. You too. All right, man. Well, glad to talk to you, bro. You are. All right, man. So this has been the Sonder Podcast. Peace. Tolu Omoba. Y'all have a good day.